Island Whitefish. We've had a one-week hiatus as I had most of my organs removed, uh, but we're back now. It's me, Andrew. I'm here with Riley. I'm waiting this time for you my cue <laughs> Andrew is not waiting for his cue to go back in. <laughs> Fuck it. The show's over. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was so astonished that you let me get all the way through both syllables of your name. Before yeah, coming well, in, um, uh, yes, I, I let you get through both both syllables because I'm aware you are not playing with a full deck of cards, uh, given that you no longer have your appendix, which is podcasting's most important organ. Mm. It's true. It is. <laughs> we finally found the use for it, and we have another guest this week. That's right, from the illustrious Punta Vista podcast, uh, resident. Alien analyst and cryptozoologist, Ben. It's pronounced analyst, but yes, that's <laughs> me. And also, that's a slow, you homophobic <laughs> fuck. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, shutting it down. Yep. And shutting it was it lovely being here, kind of on my own podcast. Uh, and I'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I thought it was important to get Ben on for this particular episode, because this week... We're talking about season five, oddly enough, only season five, <laughs> uh, forever. No yep. season four, no season nope. six. Nope. What about season five? three? Fuck no. No. Okay. no. It's further from season five <laughs> than season four. That's worse. I'm going to be started on season two. Ugh. I wasn't going to. I wasn't going to mention that. But now that you've mentioned season two, what about season one? Why? Why? Yeah. Why season, would I even? <laughs> season one is when the show would have been at its most reasonable. There's oh, the, that's true. The, the, that's just when they're no, okay. Well, we do know that season one starts with Angela Montenegro, the permanently horny computer wizard. We do know because we have looked at the pilot script. It starts with her described as a uh, a, a sexual and vivacious bohemian, and you can look that up. Oh um, my god! <laughs> walking around an airport and then like getting hired by the Bones crew to do like a sketch. And then over the seasons, she morphs into a horny computer wizard. Can yeah. I... And this is, you know, this is largely on me for not having ever listened to any episode of this and also for not having really watched Bones before. That's the ideal uh, state to come in. What is... What are they? They work at the Smithsonian? Or the Jeffersonian. The FBI? This is... This is one of the grandest mysteries of Bones. Okay. Because it seems like they're in an unreasonably enormous complex with 20 mm -hmm. different kinds of expert. Are they all cops or are just some of them cops? I believe it is some form of liaison with the FBI. Right. Mm. Okay. So basically, I guess they just hang out and do it for fun. <laughs> just yeah. waiting and hoping that a crime happens. Yes. Someone contacts them. Yeah, they do. But they have, wait, they have an Egyptology section. So yeah. they are actual like natural history people that just, but they also they have a psychologist in house. Well, no, the psychologist. Oh, no, he's from the FBI. The psychologist the FBI. works for the FBI. Yeah, and the Egyptology section, like, doesn't every police? That's why police budgets are so expanded. <laughs> is after all of the um, campaigns in the Middle East and stuff, they have to all oh, have Egyptology sections now. 
for curses and such when you're about to invade somewhere in the Middle <laughs> yeah, East. Yeah, yeah they ha- well, they have accents. Look, if you're if there's a, a crowd and they're like, you know, protesting outside a federal courthouse and threatening to graffiti it, they need to be able to open the mummy's tomb and unleash a curse on, a curse on them. Yeah, that checks Ideally. out. Yeah. All right, yeah, it's aftermarket large military tracked vehicles and Egyptian coasts. That's that's what they're spending their money on. Yeah. Now, um, before we do get into the episode, I almost foolishly skipped past breakfast update. You can really use that singer for anything. It's the perfect stig. And I hope that it uh, was rights free or you made it or we've really fucked up very badly. But are you going to get sued by Action News of the concept? (laughs) Um all right. Uh, in today's breakfast update, I have returned to form, uh, oh, returned good. to the form of my perverted youth, and I have reheated pasta from two days ago that I mm-hmm. made with courgette and mushroom and some rosemary. I also reheated coffee from yesterday, and I had it in the bright orange uh, mug. Uh, the bright orange mug is part of the Le, Cru- Le Creuset range, and it is one of the best mugs in the house. Uh, this is because all of them are clean because I had the foresight to put the dishwasher on yesterday. However, mm. I'm going to say that neither item was microwaved all the way through, and I finished oh, them both very quickly so that we <laughs> could get on to the podcast properly and you wouldn't hear me chewing. All in all, I hope that next time I do breakfast update, I've, I've gone back to the bagel place and I have some smoked, uh, some smoked salmon and cream cheese that I can tell you about um, in a way that will make me much, much happier. Thank you. Ben, did you know that uh, in the UK they call cream cheese courgettes? They call cream cheese soft cheese. Oh. So yeah. well, now this that's what I said. That's the noise me. I made. Because there's a bit in an episode of the Mighty Bush where uh, someone says that the Noel Fielding one uh, sits around all day like a French duke eating soft cheeses. Now I had believed that to refer to perhaps your brie's and your camemberts. Yeah. See, this is my problem too. Uh, right, it might also. You're sitting around eating like cottage cheese all day because that's fucking disgusting. Well, cottage cheese, surely. No, and also, it, look, they, we also confusingly, yes, a soft cheese could also be a brie, but usually you go to the shop and it'll be like Philadelphia cream cheese, which, by the way, is referred to also generically as Philadelphia. So it's either soft cheese <laughs> or Philadelphia, like Kleenex refers to every brand of sure. nose blowing mm-hmm, tissue. Mm-hmm. So you can say, hey, can you pass me the Philadelphia? And then someone will grab a, like a Waitrose Basics, uh, like an essential Waitrose rather, um, you know, thing of cream cheese and hand it to you. Or also it could be called soft cheese. It's a confusing breakfast category. Well, see, I've done the same thing with the Philadelphia experiment. Uh, if you try and teleport a large naval battleship, I'll just call it doing a Philadelphia. Hmm. So that would be particularly confusing. Uh, excuse me, could you, could you pass me the Philadelphia for my bagel? Uh, oh, boy. Sorry. Oh, jeez. Oh, <laughs> Immediately, the the ceiling starts being crushed under the weight of a gigantic battleship. Uh, Breakfast update from this side of the world. I ate a bowl of Nutrigrain because we bought a fucking gigantic box of it from Costco and both of my children have decided they no longer like it. (laughs) Leaving it to me, dad style, to eat several kilograms of Nutrigrain. Awesome. Uh, I did, however, have a good cup of coffee because my coffee machine died and I got a new one and it's great and I love it. It's wonderful stuff. Mm. Uh, ben, what did you have for breakfast today? 
I don't really eat breakfast. Is this due to the hour at which you rise? Is I mean, it's more definitely, of a brunch? It's something to do with it. By the time I'm out and about anywhere, it's generally lunchtime. Uh, but also, I'm not like a... I, I'm a two-meal-a-day kind of man. I enjoy two enormous meals, mm-hmm. uh, one at lunchtime and one at dinner dinnertime. Uh, and, yeah, I don't, I don't really have... Breakfast seems like a whole fuck around. Even when, when I was waking up early, I'd never do it. Like, huh. I used to start work at like six thirty, seven in the morning. I still wouldn't be having what? breakfast. I'd wait till lunch. Oh, yeah. no, that's Wild. That's just how my body works. I remember I, I used, I used to, to skip a, breakfast all the time, but that was because of the enormous amounts of weed that I used to ingest, and then I would just binge eat every single night. So <laughs> well, I mean, I also do that. That is yeah, that's. <laughs> I feel like that's a factor an, in it. See, my, my my first ever job out of university. Uh, was I was working as a production assistant for a, ra- a digital radio station called Monocle 24. Uh, <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> what, um, what exactly did they play on Monocle 24? <laughs> was it either things that you would listen to 24 hours a day that would please the type of person who would wear a monocle? Or was it the kind of stuff that would cause one into dropping their monocle in shock? No, the first one. Uh, the first okay. one, kind of nailed it on the first one. Uh, no, uh, basically, are you aware of the design magazine Wallpaper? Yes. So, Wall, the guy who started Wallpaper, Tyler Brule, um, <laughs> then founded a magazine called Monocle after he sold Wallpaper, and Monocle was loves bi- nouns. <laughs> Big fan of nouns. <laughs> but look, they're, they're most words. Um, <laughs> people, places, things can't get enough of any of them, and Monocle. <laughs> was supposed to be a combination of, like, wallpaper plus The Economist. It was, um, they said they had five sections. Affairs, business, culture, design, and editorial. And so it was, like, supposed to be a magazine that would interest, like, a globetrotting architect or, like, someone who's got, like, business in both Helsinki and Tokyo and that kind of thing. And they also had a radio station called Monocle Twenty Four, and my I, I when I was uh, when I was like a like a teen uh, and a real piece of shit. I <laughs> loved Monocle. It was my favorite magazine because I just read it and be like, yeah. I like I was like sixteen and I was like reading a review of the new like uh, first class lounge in Helsinki Airport, and I was like, hmm, <laughs> mm, good. Wow, interesting. <laughs> And see, I worked for Monocle 24, and it was like my first experience of a real job. And they were like, all right, you're a production assistant on our 24-hour radio station that's mostly you broadcast to people who buy a Monocle-branded digital radio that's built out of, like, Hinoki wood and copper. Uh, it's like 800 pounds. <laughs> um, and uh, you, what you, your job is to sort of... Google, sit in a, our, our office, where, by the way, you're not allowed to hang your coat on the back of your chair. You're not allowed to have water unless you, like, fill up a little carafe, put it on, like, a, a sort of small uh, Hinoki wood cutting board and get, like, a very artful glass. And, like, the dress code for the office is, like, it must be very trendy, but also very, like, it has to be, like, smartly trendy. Like, the entire place is organized as though, like, um... A design photo shoot might break out at any moment. Um, <laughs> Can I just say that this all makes me want to kill myself? <laughs> I, can't, uh, no. I can. Well, here's the here's the here's the here's the turn. I didn't last very long. 
Yeah, that's fair enough. What, so, can I can I ask was the was the reason for not being able to put a jacket on the back of the chair um, just just aesthetic? Yes. Okay, because I I worked somewhere where you couldn't put a a jacket on the back of your chair and it was for safety reasons. No, 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 no. I, could you elaborate on that a little bit? Okay, so I used to work for a um for like a resources company. I used to work for a a company that um. Uh, was like an energy retailer and they also did like um you know gas exploration stuff that kind of thing and like uh they they had their their what do you call them kpis and that sort of stuff from year to year and they would be different things from year to year and one year they had like a number of incidents where people died um on like oil rigs and stuff like that you know um, or like, like two guys died driving to a work site. Um, they had like a head on collision and died. And, uh, apparently that throws all of your, your safety incident numbers right out of whack. Mm. And it's an ugly bump on a chart for sure. Yeah. Yes, very much. Yeah, and you can see that. And so the, the KPIs for the year became very, very, very safety focused. And it was all about safety for everyone all the time. And they made a big point of like, Hey, we have... You know, we have people working on oil rigs and like, um, and, and like, uh, natural gas fracking things and stuff like that. Um, and you know, we're, we're going to show how seriously we take safety at, at every single one of our work sites, including the classic office. And so what that meant was that every, that the KPIs became about recording like safety observations um, which is probably fine if you work on an oil rig, you know, if you work on an oil rig, there's probably a bunch of things each day that you can look at and go, that's not great. That thing shouldn't be on the floor. Um, this thing is a danger to my life, that kind of stuff. If you work in an office though, the number of things presenting an immediate danger to your life, pretty low from day to day, but they still had these requirements like every single meeting that you had, you had to start with a safety observation. They would like go around the room wait, and wait, everybody wait, wait. had to say like a stolen land acknowledgement. No, 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 no. Like, like, um, Oh, uh, I mean that, 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 that does happen. But, um, okay. but this was more like, uh, you had to say, you know, Oh, I, I was in the kitchen and there, somebody had spilled water on the floor. And so I cleaned it up because someone could have slipped on it and hurt themselves. But the problem is that, that doesn't actually happen that much. Um, so they would make everybody like sort of, <laughs> they would be making people fill out all these things that are like, should you stand on top of your swivel chair in order to change a light bulb? And you go, no. And also why the fuck would I be changing a light bulb in the office? Like Jeez. why, what, why would I be changing the neon tubes in the thing? Like there's a whole service department for doing that kind of stuff. So people would have to be coming into meetings and saying things like, um, people would have to be coming into meetings and saying stuff like, oh, I was coming into the office and I saw one of my colleagues uh, cross the road, but when there wasn't a green flashing man and I pulled them up and I spoke to them about it. What? Uh, And so the reason you couldn't hang your jacket on the back of your chair is because someone could walk past and like get tangled up in the jacket somehow 
and it's, pull the chair over and this might cause some type of explosion perhaps or yeah. decapitation they, they were concerned about a three stooges situation yes um, yes it's it, it's a, just an incredible example of kind of um of just untargeted shotgun corporate risk management that in response to a bunch of people dying on oil rigs the company decided to ban putting jackets on the back of chairs so it could record itself taking actions yeah that was it it was solely like if everybody wants to get a bonus this year we have to have recorded this number of people saying safety and and it meant that you had to like manufacture all these things to talk about it was fucking stupid incredible but anyway that's the reason that we couldn't have jackets on the back of our chairs i've never worked anywhere where so, i have a jacket so kind of a <laughs> moot point for me well it could be anything it could be an overcoat perhaps in the winter time that's no, also have one not of a problem for you <laughs> yeah, yeah do you do you guys even have a, have either of you ever worn an overcoat I, we are however many months into winter at this point and i have not worn uh long pants yet I have been wearing shorts that I'm going to say are about a good seven to eight inches above the knee, and I have not changed those at any point uh-huh. yet so far. I mean, I've changed the shorts. I've just oh, very committed. To, I've not changed wearing shorts as a concept. The shorts are clean. I would like to stress. Mm-hmm. Well, so the, the, that's and that's your that's your formal wear is I'm wearing slightly <laughs> better, slightly. Cleaner I'm actually shorts. like I live a little bit in fear that. Uh, a friend of mine will get married or something will happen where I am required to look nice because I genuinely don't have any clothes that are appropriate for anything like that. Uh, it's a terrifying potential nightmare for me. Mm. No clothes that are appropriate no, for anything. Other than having a good time. Um, I have definitely Ooh. worn an overcoat. I bet you have. Uh, because I, I, wear, I, I live somewhere where it gets down to below freezing um, overnight in winter anyway and during the day as well uh, so of course I wear a coat but Shall I wasn't we talk living about, <laughs> about what? <laughs> yeah <laughs> the who? <clears throat> now as I alluded to earlier very important to get Ben on for this episode because this episode is entitled uh, season 5 episode 11 the X in the file Right, Very and that's because clever. the naming right. format of all of the episodes of Bones are the something, something, the something? The something yeah. in the something? Is that? It's, it's either on or in. It's very usually. strange. The X in the, it's like the, the, the dwarf in the ditch, the X in the file, the goop on the girl. <laughs> goop on your Grinch. Um, yeah. They try to make them alliterative, I guess. But they, don't know. <laughs> they, try to, they try to get them alliterative, but they don't always get it. <laughs> it's... It's like, not quite there, you know? It's, it's a show where 80% maybe of the titles are alliterative. <laughs> hey, you gotta try. And in this case, they just wanted to say X-Files. Yeah, um, they, they didn't want to say, say the alien near Albuquerque or whatever. No, it's like, no, you need to know, Riley and Andrew, later on, that this is an affectionate homage to the X-Files that's full of um, police brutality played mm-hmm. for laughs. Oh my, yes. Like, it, problem, explicitly said out loud yes. towards the end of the episode as well, which was wild to me. Um, yeah, and, and it is a recurring thing as well in this where what they think is an homage is actually just them wholesale taking like the entire plot from something else mm-hmm. uh there was a previous episode ben where um 
somebody somebody who worked in like a video game arcade or whatever gets killed. No, it was a, a person who had the high score of a particular video game. And then they just import the entire plot of the documentary King of Kong. <laughs> Mm-hmm. With a, um, did, what is the Billy Mitchell had a log like? I'm deeply curious. The bad guy uh, from King of Kong. Name of not the good guy. Yeah, uh, Billy Gable. Oh, his name was. My God. Okay. And he, he and have- he wore and he wore an American flag tie. Yep. Yep. Same so, stuff. It's it's not so much homage as them just going, yeah, this will work. Wait, so is there... I I assume this means there's a murder in the King of Kong ripoff? Oh, very much Who gets murdered? I get it. Why would they make a a King of Kong ripoff? It's it's a good movie, but it just... It seems so strange. But hey, this is the X-Files ripoff. Yes, yes. You'll have to go back and listen to the one about the episode, The Gamer in the Grease. What a lovely suggestion. See? They nailed the alliteration on that one. Sure. So, this episode has a lowly bones count of six. The bones count, for your benefit, Ben, um, is the amount of times the word (laughs) bones is uttered throughout the episode. We have not quite hit the season low of five, but we are nowhere near the heady heights of the sort of mid-twenties that we have seen. It feels almost like the bones count in this episode would have been eclipsed by the flesh count. Yes. Yeah. Which is strange oh, yeah. for a show sorry, called sorry, Bones. You, 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 you'll, you'll need to call my colleague Flesh. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! Imagine that. That was flesh. like that's where the show goes. Is that there's just her exact double in every way, except she specialises in flesh. That would be the best goddamn show. <laughs> flesh, get down. Flesh, get down here. There's been another murder in a refrigerator. Everything's perfectly preserved. It would be useless to have bones here. That's right. We, we won't need bones for, I don't know, two, maybe four weeks. So uh, this episode opens in Roswell, New Mexico. The a place that Ben has been. I have been there. Stayed at the beautiful uh, mm. Best Western New Mexico. Was it? Wait, no, it was wow. the best, no, I don't know. One of them. One of the big chain hotels there. But they had a lot of alien statues and what? shit in the lobby. It was fucking great. What was breakfast? Don't like? have breakfast. <laughs> Couldn't tell you. Oh, <laughs> yes, yeah, we, we established that. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, there's a man wandering around out in the desert at nighttime, talking on his phone, claiming, as he speaks to his wife, to be in his hotel room in Florida. Clearly not. Uh, as he makes pretty obvious that he's just kind of walking around in the desert looking for aliens. Got to do. Yeah. <laughs> That's what you did. Right yeah, then. more or less. It was <laughs> yeah. driving around because I'm not a fucking idiot. But uh, yeah, it's basically the same thing. As, as far as I understand, it, the most efficient way to find aliens is to just kind of walk around I mean, in the wilderness at night. My thing is that you could probably uh, choose a high vantage point, uh, set up a lawn chair, have a cooler of beers next to you, and then just, like, wait. Mm-hmm. Oh, there they are over there. You can tell because it's a giant light a thousand feet in the air. Sick nuts. I'm done. Yeah. Not this guy. He's looking around on the ground. I mean, it did pay off for him, sort of. But still, it's shoddy yeah. technique. It did, it did. So he's busy lying to his wife about being in Florida. She's saying she wants some presents. Uh, he's rattling off a big list like a demanding bitch. Wives, am I right? Viewers of Bones in 2009. Uh, when he says, oh my God, I found one. An alien, a real one. 
I gotta get a picture of this. Yeah. Uh, and there is what looks to be a little green man type deal mm-hmm. wrapped in a silver, mm-hmm. like a silver blanket, silver jacket type thing. Sort of reflective yeah. hazmat uh, suit almost, it looks, I'd say. Yes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yes. Uh, he then hears a noise and says, oh, more aliens. I see some red scary eyes. Uh, says out loud, I come in peace. Yep. And then shits himself and runs away. Mm-hmm. So, we are immediately transported to the lab at the Jeffersonian Medico Institute for Sexual Harassment. Before we go to the Jeffersonian Medico Institute for Sexual Harassment, (laughs) um, I would like to add that I I copied down one, a couple of exchanges from the the Desert Dialogue, um, where his wife is asking him to write down a hotel number. He says, there are no pens in this hotel, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which uh, I thought was a very fun lie. (laughs) Um, And also... How do you take, how do you fly, how, okay, number one, how, as, as it gets revealed as this guy goes on throughout the episode, how does this guy maintain a job where he has to travel for work and also a long-term relationship where she doesn't notice that he's not flying to the place he says he is? Um, and then well, he, he, was, he was actively being accused of hunting aliens, oh, yeah. which Fair. suggests to me that he's not doing a great <laughs> job of okay. concealing it. Yeah. Uh, so he's in the, the early stages of some kind of breakdown. Got it. Carry yeah. on. So uh, we are off to the Jeffersonian Medico Institute for Sexual Harassment. And uh, intern Wendell, who we haven't seen in multiple episodes, because that is the nature of this show. An intern will be introduced. They will disappear for many episodes at a time. Uh, and then they will just appear again as though they've been working there the whole time. Uh, ben, you would very much enjoy... Uh, one of the previous episodes in which the intern that shows up is uh, one of the characters from Avatar and they then spend the rest of the episode promoting James Cameron's movie, Avatar. Oh, that seems deeply strange. Yeah. Uh, So Wendell uh, and Angela, who became a couple some number of episodes ago, are getting horny because it is the Institute (laughs) for Sexual Harassment after all. Um. And Wendell says that uh, they plan. They have plans for the evening, which include going to the club and seeing DJ Spider. That's so specific. <laughs> it yeah. really is. What? Why did the writers? The writers were like, mm, no, more detail. I need to believe <laughs> they're going to the club tonight, and then back to Wendell's can't, place. Can't just say that hot new DJ. I'm gonna get specific. DJ Spider. It's edgy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Cam wanders in and is like, uh, everybody knows that you two are fucking. Anyway, back to the desert. Now, oh, very... DJ Spider. DJ Spider, real DJ. Um, yep. uh, on Twitter, at D spelled D, J spelled J-A-Y, Spider. Um, and yeah, uh, looks as though his greatest hits have been between 2005 and 2007. Oh. Well, spot on. Yeah. That would explain why two years later he is just playing a local club in Washington, D.C. <laughs> All right. So we're now off to the desert. Mm-hmm. Bones and Booth are here. And for some reason, they are investigating a crime in Roswell, New Mexico. Sure. Well, I believe they were specifically yeah. called out there. Oh, by, uh, by, the, by the local sheriff. sheriff. Yes. He wants an FBI yeah. liaison. Yeah. You just I have a button. It, 
You have a button you can press so- and it calls the Bone Squad to whatever <laughs> You button. have four buttons. And then, you know, Flesh, they come and do it. bones, eye jelly, hair. Uh, and depending on which one you press, obviously, the person named that comes out to you. Yeah. A different crew shows up. Um, I'm just kind of surprised by this because, like, Roswell is, is 27 hours by car I don't from think Washington. they drive. Well, it's also a five and a half hour flight. I am very, very doubtful that there are no other bone experts in the country who can come out and look at this body, that which is not during, bones uh, yet. Bone Fest. It's the biggest osteo whatever conference of the year. So all those guys were occupied. <laughs> now, uh, the episode immediately leaps into trying to steal the dynamic from the X-Files. They are immediately casting Booth in the Mulder role. Uh, and Bones is the skeptical Scully. Uh, Booth says, can you imagine if we found an alien, a real one? And Bones, being Bones, says, you mean someone who slipped illegally into the country from Mexico or Canada? Yeah, that's exactly what I mean. Imagine if we found a real, a, a real person who was from another country. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> that's a thing oh, wow. that exists and I can prove. <laughs> now, Booth says... You don't believe there are other real life forms out there? To which Bones replies, the probability is very high, but any aliens visiting this planet would have sufficient intelligence not to die in the middle of the desert. Ben, what is your well, take on I mean, this? she's referencing the Drake equation there, obviously, which is that the, the thing put forward that statistically, given the number of planets and what we consider the likelihood of life occurring and how long the universe is around, it's almost certainly happened. Which is something that we don't really know because we don't fully understand how likely it is that life will form. But also there are strict limitations on how far anyone would be able to travel and the chances of them being able to find us. So it's kind of a moot point. Uh, But in saying that, aliens are real. Uh, But do you think that they would have sufficient intelligence uh, not to die? I'm going to say yes. If they have, uh, if they've mastered, you know, interstellar flight and they've come all the way here... Uh, they're probably not just going to be shot in the head. That's my feeling. Well, they don't know that they've been shot yet. You know, like, uh, the oh, alien could have they come might down, actually hit some of that green <laughs> sticky icky icky and then gotten lost, wandered away from his group. They might not know violence either. They might be, you know, wonderful, peace-loving beings that came down here and then some guy from New Mexico just murked him. It's just like, ah, oh, mm. this seems like a lovely land. Give me your uh, alien wallet. <laughs> <laughs> Hmm. I mean, uh, most of most of the sort of certainty that aliens were going to come if aliens ever came down their first reaction would be to kill all of us kill and enslave all of us that's just projection about colonialism right sure which i mean hmm. yeah if you're if even a slight part of the nature that has made us how we've been historically uh, is represented in other intelligences we're fucked deeply fucked Mm-hmm. Now, Ben, I need to explain to you at this point the formula of how one writes an mm-hmm. episode of Bones. The most common way of doing it is to quickly set up an intriguing premise. Sorry, actually, let me let me run that back and say writing an episode of Bones season five. Uh, you begin by writing an intriguing premise, which leads the viewer to believe that perhaps the uh, team has stumbled upon, say, a leprechaun, a Sasquatch, a Bigfoot, uh, an alien, you know, something, perhaps a mummy has come out of his tomb and (laughs) murdered somebody. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, and then... And then you you leave it on like an intriguing cliffhanger. Then you play the credits. And then within the first 20 seconds of coming back from the credits, somebody says, looks like it definitely wasn't a mummy. And, uh, and just really That's pops the sort of that TV balloon. that people love is being presented with something that is conceptually awesome and then finding out there's no way that could have possibly happened. Mm. Now, in the case of this episode, they jump the gun, right? Mm. Uh, because... Booth sees this body, says Mulder style, looks like an alien to me, uh, which must mean it's time to completely ruin the premise. Bones then says, judging by the pelvic inlet and the pubic symphysis, female, maybe 30 years old. Uh, birth female, replies Booth. And she says, yes, body moisture was trapped by this silver coat she's wearing, turning some of her fat into adipocere. I have no idea why it is so hard. Case closed. It's a human woman. We haven't even got to the credits yet. Uh, so now that we've ruined the premise and we know that it's definitely not an alien, a crazy lady is here with a shotgun. It's that lady from everything. That's right. It's Dale Dickey. Oh, wait, how do you know? Wait, hold on. She's in everything? Yeah, man. Uh, I just watched uh, Hell or High Water the other day. Oh, I just watched that the other day as well. Yeah, for the first time. Very good movie. Yeah, it's fucking great, hey. Uh, and she was oh, the bank, she's the bank, bank teller, teller with the cast on her hand in that oh, one. Oh, she was um, great in that. She was in Winter's Bone. Didn't see that. Which uh, is a very good, very good movie where Jennifer Lawrence is like trying to trying to get enough money to keep her and her siblings alive in, in like sort of uh, rural backwoods... Appalachian uh, meth kitchen country. Hmm. Uh, so you can see why Dale Dickey was a great fit for that movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she's like, hey, y'all can't take that body. Uh, pointing a shotgun at the FBI, which is generally a good move. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, and they say, hey, uh, not only can you not take the body, lady, but also Bones can't take the body back to Washington. Oh, yeah. Because I'm the local sheriff local sheriff is like uh i have jurisdiction i can make it all a big pain in the butt for you i basically have tricked you into coming here to help me <laughs> and the phone and the body cannot leave the local uh hospital i get what i like i like the the reason for this which is totally just completely it just shows that the writers of the show bones just hear about a subculture and then they're like well don't need to think about anything plausible about that because it's like yeah if i let the fbi take these take these bones i'll be accused by those alien freaks of letting the fbi take an alien and it's like you can't that's not gonna that's that's not you can't live your life being worried about what the alien chases (laughs) are going to say yeah and it's it's like um it, it's they well they imagine that these people are just sort of cartoons that do only one thing that they're sort of just sitting and waiting for the FBI to take an alien body so that they can harass the sheriff about it. Basically, and there are a cast of characters in this episode that are here to do that very thing. Uh, at this point, a cell phone on the dead body rings and starts playing the intro to the X Files as its ringtone. I do yeah. actually. I did genuinely like that they do exactly what the x-files does which is they you know start with the volume quite low and do a swell just before they cut to the titles and they did the same thing in this episode before hard cutting to the bones titles uh and i thought that was cute i liked it mm-hmm. we'll give you a taste of that right now as we always do uh, yeah theme song by the crystal method ben 
Absolutely. It's a really good theme song. It slaps. <laughs> it's just uh, that it goes with a lot of pictures of bones, which is not as cool as it sounds. But I no. listen to that recreationally. It's mm-hmm. definitely not. Oh yeah, I would love. I I love just like having some friends over, have, getting a party going, playing a mix of <laughs> DJ Spider and uh, the Bones theme song. <laughs> oh, ideally. So um, they are now at this local hospital that they have to work out of because they can't send it back to the lab as established. Uh, this layer of gross shit on the outside of this body that is definitely not an alien uh, appears to be petrified. Now, Ben, there is another ongoing theme in episodes of Bones and the way they are written, <clears throat> which is that you establish the tantalizing premise at the start. You ruin it either immediately before or immediately after the credits. And then every other character in the show carries on as though that premise is still valid. Mm-hmm. Of course. Everyone then spends the rest of the episode going, aliens? <laughs> Even though less than five minutes into the show, we said yeah. it's definitely not an alien. Absolutely. I mean, I don't want to spoil where this is going, but they do a double fake out in this episode. They do. Of like, and now we've dismissed the reason that this is aliens, but this other thing is aliens and that's real. And then <laughs> five seconds later, they're like, it's not. <laughs> Don't worry, it wasn't. So, um, yeah. So Bones says that she's going to send the code off to Hodgins. Um, she says, her skeletal robusticity <laughs> and large areas of muscle attachment suggest extremely good health. And now it's time to ruin the other bit from the intro, which is that the man who found them said that he saw several sets of orange glowing eyes staring at him from the darkness. Wendell says, orange eyeballed aliens? And Bone says, no, they were clearly uh, coyotes. Oh, I, I mean, hopeful. that fucking sucks. Like, I thought that was at least going to be sort of explored in some way. And then that's literally the entire dismissal is, it was coyotes. Okay. Here's the thing, right? Uh, the, one of the other, like, we've, we've sort of deduced a few of the sort of formulas of Bones, which really reveal the contempt for the audience that sort of late 2000s... Um, uh, procedural writers had which is that they'll sort of the idea is they instead of setting up several mysteries and having them solve as they come together over the course of the show and bounce off of one another what they do is they set up a mystery and then they solve it and they set up the next mystery which happens to arise because of some clue or development and then they solve it so really this has to be seen as just could it be aliens no they're setting up a mystery and then solving it <laughs> well what if it was al- no <laughs> what about those glowing up coyotes? Yeah. <laughs> now, we have to get to a, we have to get to 43 minutes, but we are not going to stretch a single premise beyond a couple minutes. So we're going to explore maybe eight, nine premises throughout. We don't want to sprain anything. Yeah. You know? And just see which premise is the one that we're exploring when it's about 40, 40 or so minutes in. And that's going to be the solution. That's right. So, uh, Sweets is here. Uh, They are now at this point interrogating the guy who found the quote-unquote alien. Mm -hmm. Um, Sweets is being piped in from Washington via an earpiece as Booth interrogates this guy. Sweets says, um, (laughs) he says, wearing your earpiece, he is not going to be able to hear me, so I can help you with your interrogation, he says, looking directly into the camera. (laughs) It seems... 
like a weirdly torturous way to just have the guy in the conversation. I don't... It seems very abstract. We'll have you doing Skype, but with Bluetooth headphones, the perfect crime. <laughs> so, Sweets then says, um, Some people who chase UFOs believe in alien abductions. These people tend to be dreamy, highly suggestible, and possess a strong belief that there is something larger than them out there, something that they can't control. Ben, is this true? Uh, those are all the qualities of people that do shrooms, and yeah, I'm the center <laughs> of that Venn diagram. <laughs> Right there in the middle of that circle. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> People that say some... whoa oh, sorry, a lot. Mm. So in the course whoa. of this uh, interrogation, Booth says, why would you hook up with aliens if they like to anally probe you? To which Marvin, the guy who found the body, replies, there are two races of aliens and they do not see eye to eye, which raises the <laughs> tantalizing concept of alien race war. I mean, this is like a, a huge thing that I think helps fuel cohesion in the UFO community. Uh, from my personal experience of attending meetings of UFO Research Queensland, the world's second oldest UFO research organization, mm-hmm. uh, that that is the gel that allows people to hold deeply inconsistent beliefs about the various extraterrestrials that visit the planet, where one people will be like, yeah, they're evil, they're here to exploit us, I had a horrible time and throughout my whole life, and then the person in the chair next to them will speak up and be like, oh, it's too bad you got caught up with the greys because we all know they're bad whereas i was dealing with people from the pleiades and uh i only felt loving warmth the whole time i was there with them and had seven children with one so when, yeah there was still deep that? up inside me but it felt nice yeah so what what is because like it, it seems to be like there's this common theme where alien alien encounters seem to be these some kind of overwhelming and inexplicable sensation of something and mm-hmm. then they're they're reported as aliens, but there's some consistency between the different narratives. So is that is that is that people um, is is that like just someone like having a kind of religious experience is explain, explained by brain chemistry, but in an era where you know science fiction has replaced God? Like wh- what is well, maybe? What is I mean, on? there's something there to that. To that, like, if you truly believe you are seeing something completely beyond your ken like just anything that you could possibly comprehend or has previously seemed real to you surely even just that belief would flood your brain with something fucking crazy like i was, I was thinking about uh there's that the hudson valley ufo sightings was this big one that happened in the hudson valley a couple of decades ago where like dozens of people in this town all became convinced that they saw uh, these massive, massive UFOs, and all of them report just like looking up at these things and feeling this abject sense of wonder, but also like of reassurance, uh, which is very weird. Just maybe it's the sense of like, I don't know, uh, seeing something beyond you and being like, holy fuck, this is fucking crazy, and your brain just pumping adrenaline and shit into there. And a it's better show one. may have taken on <laughs> questions like this. <laughs> So uh, we now cross to a hotel that Wendell and Angela previously suggested they would go and fuck at during lunchtime. Um, Wendell is bizarrely respectful of the work environment at the Jeffersonian Medico Institute for Sexual Harassment. Um, They're talking about their relationship. In that sense, not respectful because he's not doing sexual harassment. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's what I mean. 
I don't know um, if I'm maybe just like an unexciting person, but to me that seems like an enormous waste of money to pay for a hotel for your hour lunch break. I agree. Uh, and I think oh, that's like why people normally... Don't forget, half of the people that work at this organization are independently wealthy because the oh, that's um, true. the show the show writers just decided it would be easier to write. Like they'd have less <laughs> issues that were cropping up in their lives. So, like three of them are billionaires. Awesome. <laughs> there have been at least two or three episodes in this season that have been where like something has been resolved by Bones just paying somebody else's way with her independent wealth from being a successful crime fiction author on the side. Oh, cool. Yeah, and, and Hodgins inherited a fortune. Um, I think the only one who's not, like, independently wealthy is, like, the Angela, Angela got money somehow as well. The only one who's not independently wealthy is Booth, and it's sort of a joke that he's always, like, slightly broke. That's a fun joke. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you poor piece of shit. Bet you can't even afford a plumber for your crappy house. I will not uh, pay for can't it. Can't pay all your bills on time. <laughs> yeah, anyway, this B-plot sucks. Um, Angela used to date Hodgins. Uh, it's, it's possibly some kind of tension. Nobody cares. I don't care. Moving on to the hospital, we now have a new character introducing themselves and gunning for the title of Most Obnoxious, which is quite a feat on the television show Bones. Mm. Uh, this lady pops out of nowhere and says, do you know who I am? And Booth says, no. Mm. Quite uh, reasonably. <laughs> um, so she's trying to discern where Booth has come from and says, FBI, military intelligence, that's an oxymoron, you know, a term that contradicts itself. I'm Delmi Polanco. I'm the most important UFO blogger in the world. <laughs> Hello, I'm Delmi Polanco. <laughs> you may know me. From <laughs> Hi, I'm Delmi Polanco, and has this ever happened to you? You get on your Stairmaster, and all of a sudden, you feel as though your knees are tired. That's right. Yeah, Delmi Polenko. What a name. Delmi. Um, the cop knows her because apparently he knows everyone in the entire state of New Mexico. Uh, yeah. He knew the lady with the shotgun before by first name immediately on seeing her. He knows this lady too. Yeah. Um, she does threaten him by saying, Delmi. I'm going to post all this on my blog tonight. And by tomorrow morning, this whole town will be swarming with UFO nuts. Again, which I believe just is the poster's curse. <laughs> yeah, just, just the, the Bones writers just not fundamentally understanding anything that happens outside a major American city or outside the experiences of a TV show writer. <laughs> like, they're like, well, people who, again, people who like aliens, if someone posts on a blog, hey, um, let's all go to this town and just sort of intimidate a sheriff by kind of walking around due to aliens people will what make an eight hour drive to remote new mexico uh pretty much just to intimidate one sheriff to intimidate one sheriff who may be talking to the fbi uh also um when she says i'm the most important alien blogger in the world uh booth says an important blogger talk about an oxymoron before putting on a uh happy new year 2006 uh, glasses and an Ed Hardy shirt. <laughs> I really enjoy the sheer contempt the writers felt for the audience when they felt compelled to explain uh, what an oxymoron is. 
Oh yeah. Well, it's that uh, intelligence. Like they couldn't have just said military intelligence. That's an oxymoron. Yeah. And, well, the and then intelligence no. in the show Bones is conceived of as um, just knowing of facts and then sharing those facts um, as though sort of someone else couldn't possibly know them. Oh, it's like uh, writing a Chuck Palahniuk novel. <laughs> That's right. Oh, man. I went directly no. from my Chuck Palahniuk phase into my monocle phase. <laughs> <laughs> what a sentence. God, how, oh, how did anyone stand hanging around me when I was like 17? Jesus Christ. Now, as alluded to before, um, upon being threatened uh, with, the, with the vile <laughs> curse of the post, um, this cop immediately says, uh, I will arrest you for interfering with an investigation. This gentleman from the FBI will also arrest you for obstruction of justice and so on and so forth just to get this lady to go away and stop asking him questions. Um, he also says this hospital is private property, which means that you're trespassing. Um, so it's cool. Basically, if you speak to a cop in a way that they don't like, you can be arrested and charged with a federal crime. But it, it's but fun. Florida it's like fun abuse yeah, of funny. power. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a cop. I can you do whatever can, I want. You can tell that this, you know, threatening to turn her life upside down with an arrest, uh, you can tell it's funny because they're doing a pizzicato. Like, bing, 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 bing. She's like, oh, I better get out of here. Yeah. It's like, I, I owned, owned member of the public who was asking some questions. Because I'm, uh, because I'm being flirtily arrested by this sheriff with whom it is implied that I have some small chemistry. Hmm. Now, they give the skeleton a CT scan and it sits up. Whoa! Like an alien Booth. ghost? <laughs> Booth naturally immediately attempts to shoot the skeleton, uh, which is fine because he's been recertified after his coma, mm -hmm. uh, and his gun gets magnetized by the CTM machine, uh, machine and sticks to it, uh, and then everybody looks embarrassed. Mm -hmm. It turns out, once they cross back to the lab, that they've pulled six bullets of some type out of the face of this thing. So, the, the things that are inside the skull, right, are like these, these big-ass, like, ball bearing type things uh wouldn't you like as you were moving that corpse around hear them rattling around in there rattling around i think there might still be some juice up in that head you know? oh you think they're suspended in the, the liquefied brain in the goo yeah in the mm, goo yeah. uh angela <laughs> no, is they, here they, to immediately they help called goo goo <laughs> putting in a call to goo Angela's here to help with another uh, eerily accurate facial reconstruction. Not at all. Completely bogus pseudoscience. Uh, now, Cam says, not so fast, Dr. Bones, because she tries to wrap this whole thing up. I know you dislike flesh, but I'm going <laughs> to need you to remove the organs. Again, uh, Wendell says, oh, Dr. Bones dealing with flesh. Hodgins replies, Stella writing here, like a cat dealing with water. That's right. That's, that's so fucking good. That was the worst exchange I've ever heard. It is so unbelievably cringy. And then it clearly like, maybe you have some sort of uh, Stockholm syndrome by the time you get up to this episode where you're just like clapping like a seal. Like, it's mm -hmm. true. She does really like bones. <laughs> <laughs> she well, as Bones herself says in this scene, quote, 
Flesh is not my strength. Because uh, I'm bones. Actually, <laughs> actually bones, uh, strength is derived from muscles, which are a kind of flesh. <laughs> oh, oh, so, uh, oh, God, I just got, I just got taken over by the writers of bones. <laughs> <laughs> How do you? How are you a forensic anthropologist who's like, mm, no, I only deal with the bones, thank you. <laughs> it also, she's dealt with flesh in the past. It's true. It's absolutely impossible to figure out from watching this show um, where the line is between, like, there, there's a, another episode where there's a body that still has the flesh on the bones, and they say, no. We are not here to deal with this. And then all the flesh falls off the bones and they turn back around and say, oh, okay. Uh, is that real? Yes. <laughs> oh my fucking God, that's amazing. It's impossible to figure out when they are actually supposed to attend uh, to a body. It's but I mean, just... can't she just like do MRIs and x-rays and shit and there the bones are. They're there. They're under the flesh. That's where we keep them. <laughs> No, no, no. I think it's a professional, it's either a professional pride thing or just, again, a profoundly lazy writing thing (laughs) where they just think... I don't want to have to learn about a second thing. Well, it's it's that the writers think of a premise and then the first premise that sort of feels like it can be stretched into 43 minutes worth of smaller premises, they go with (laughs) it and then they just write it and I think they probably take about 43 minutes to write it. I think it's it's sort of being written and fed to the actors and filled all in one take, which is the only way you could possibly explain the show Bones, I assume, in season five. I do not understand the other seasons. I will not learn about the other seasons. I do not know about the other seasons. <laughs> no interest in the other seasons. No, thank no. you, sir. Yeah. So uh, she has to deal with some flesh. No, thank you. Not for her. Not for Bones. That's the name of the show. Um, we then... Flick away to uh, Crazy Lady with the Shotgun's Ranch, Dale Dickey's Ranch, uh, because, as is the rhythm of this show, we introduce to you a character who may be a suspect, and then we immediately establish that they are not the suspect. That's right. Um, Booth is out there hassling this lady, and she's like, hey, that dead lady was always taking videos and looking for spacemen. Want to know about her? Ask Blaine Miller at the Space Place Cafe. Uh I fucking love when characters in shows go, no, no, what you need is the next checkpoint. Yeah. <laughs> you need to move to the next scene. That's where yeah. stuff will happen. <laughs> no, you, could, you can basically see that, um, that uh, Booth uh, saved his game at this point. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Like there was a little icon that said, saving, do not turn off your PS4. <laughs> so back at the lab, we discover that uh, dead body was covered in some type of chemical, which was all over her space age outerwear. An insecticide, which is illegal in the US, but still sold south of the border. Mm. So I, I lead they will not pursue until later when it becomes obvious. Oh, Ben, speaking of good writing, how about this exchange? Cam says, so our victim was using a dangerous insecticide. Not unusual for someone who's a couple of tacos short of a combo plate. That was Hodgson so bad. says, nice metaphor. And she replies, thanks. I feel like that's that that happens twice in the episode, that someone specifically notes that someone used a metaphor. Yeah, well, so you know what it is? It's it's the writers talking to one another saying, hey, good metaphor you great wrote in job. the script. And then they forget <laughs> that that's not supposed to go in and they just write it down and the characters say it. 
and then it goes to and again it gets published and edited and watched by us years later because it's the show bones wonderful uh, also, they found a memory card in the dead lady's guts. She apparently had the foresight to loop some dental floss around one of her teeth and dangle it down into a dummy. Wouldn't that make you puke? Oh. I think there's a, a, a you'd get it past a point where it triggers your gag reflex, right? Yeah, oh, no, I guess the thread's still there. Yeah. Uh, so we you ever get pull- a you ever get a bit of spaghetti that goes down too far? <laughs> no. no. No, I have. I literally never have had that. Never happen. had that. Oh no, it's a bad feeling. <laughs> yeah, went right down all the way uh, into my appendix. Yeah, I imagine that's how that lady's feeling right now. Ooh, well, but also she's dead, so she's not really feeling anything. Yeah. Oh, sorry. We we have to call we have to call our um, our our grimy associate gag reflex. <laughs> Uh, so back at the lab, boring B-plot I don't care about. Wendell's telling Hodgins that he's bawling his ex. And Hodgins is like, that's fine. We should all have lunch together. Yeah. Back in yeah. the desert, we are now treated to a classic scene of Bones and Booth in the car together. This is where you get the Love most that. crackling dialogue in this, the episode. This is why people keep coming back to Bones season after season. Now, very interested in Ben's feedback on this particular exchange uh, Booth says um, well you know apparently this lady shot a lot of video maybe she filmed the real thing and Bone says what an extraterrestrial Booth says you said it was possible referring to the, the Drake thing uh, but they have big eyes and big heads you know for the super smart brain and Bone says it would be far more logical if they had the eyes of flies and the exoskeleton of a cockroach yeah that's pretty logical because the cockroach is an evolutionary marvel. They can withstand radiation, live without breathing for almost an hour, go without eating for weeks. Imagine that combined with an intelligence that evolved over many millennia. Ben, how does this sit with you as a depiction of an extraterrestrial? I mean, that's fucking stupid. Uh, to <laughs> any sort of belief that life would look anything like it does right here, uh, based on what has succeeded on this planet, is absolute nonsense. For all we know, they could look like beach balls covered in buttholes. And maybe that's the best way they survive on their planet. That's very silly. There's no intentionality to evolution. And even if they're bioengineering themselves, why would they copy something based on another planet? Very stupid. No. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Won't tolerate it. Take that, Bones. Yeah, temperance, you fucking creep. <laughs> we now arrive at the Space Place Cafe. Ben, did oh, you yes. visit any places like this in Roswell? Yeah, I went to uh, the Alien Jerky Store. Uh, <laughs> fucking... Uh, there's like this weird spot that's right near Area 51 where you buy, can buy t-shirts and also cold beers, uh, which is Great awesome. combo. Yeah, there's heaps of those little places around there. Rules. So, um, at this point, Bones says, uh, she looks at a, a UFO and says, the way this craft is designed, it could never leave the Earth's atmosphere. Like a real dipshit. And Booth says, yeah, but according to Dave Thomas and Rocket Ship 7... You would go on adventures like no other. Now, Rocket Ship 7 was a children's television series that aired weekday mornings on WKBW-TV in Buffalo, New York from 1962 to 1978. The host of the show, Dave Thomas, was born David Thomas Boreanaz. And oh. is, in fact, David Boreanaz's father. How about that? There you go. Huh. They even have a photo of him in the background of one of these scenes. 
Isn't I mean, that nice? That is that's, pretty cool. That's more like uh, uh, from the from the writers of Bones. I would expect them to think, well, I hate our audience and they're very stupid. Be say, wait a minute, <laughs> didn't your father make that show? And he'd say, no, that was David Boreanaz's father. And they both look <laughs> at the camera. That's you much know, more. Bones you look style. a lot like David Boreanaz. No, no, no. I'm the descendant of John Wilkes Booth, who shot Lincoln. Here's another example of that's true, by the way, Ben. Yeah, that's true in the in the in the universe of the show. Okay. <laughs> Here's another example of the stellar writing that we love. Uh, the owner of the cafe says, "Oh, did you guys hear about that body that they found up at uh, Dale Dickey's place?" And Bone says, "We never mentioned a body." To which he replies, <clears throat> nothing travels faster than the speed of light than gossip in a small town. So can you say that again? I absolutely can because I had to stop and write this down. Nothing travels faster than the speed of light than gossip in a small town. That they makes kept the ty- they kept the typo absolutely in. no sense. <laughs> Yeah, like, well, it, it makes no, I'm going to say it one more time. <laughs> Nothing travels faster than the speed of light, than gossip in a small town. Just some uh, indeterminate amount faster than yeah, faster than the speed of light. Like I don't even know how you would phrase that if you were trying to say what I think they're saying. Nothing yeah. travels as much faster than the speed of light than this thing does. This thing travels more fast. The, the speed of light than anything else. But wait, no. would that just be faster than anything else? Yes, it would. <laughs> it's a horrible <laughs> sentence. I, you, I feel like you could fix this. You could yeah. fix this by saying, gossip travels faster than the speed of light in a small town. Yeah, but does anything travel yeah. faster than that even? <laughs> you know? no, faster than the speed of light. This, this goes faster than... Gossip here <laughs> travels faster than the speed of light. No, no, if you want to get... It's also <laughs> faster than everything else. If you, but the thing is, right, he says nothing is... Fa- if, if the, sentence, the way the sentence works, we're going to spend the rest of the episode on this, is <laughs> that in relation to the speed of light, nothing is faster than gossip in a small town. So, I mean, it's not a meaningful statement because, you know, if you're faster... Because, just because you have to know that the speed of light is the fastest thing. But let's say you don't know that. Let's say you're a precocious 13-year-old who hasn't learned that yet. Um, mm-hmm. You would have to say, in a, to make this make sense and have it contain all of the same semantics, you would need to say, in a small town, nothing travels faster than the speed of light, then gossip travels faster than the speed of light. <laughs> the, the, the gap, the, the speed gap between gossip and the speed of light where gossip is higher is the largest possible gap in a small town just <laughs> absolutely infuriating phrasing oh man this is this uh, reminding me of something and i can't fucking find it but there's an article from a friend of the show tiger web or he just posted about the article god damn it i can't find it but he's talking about how there's a certain type of sentence construction that your brain will initially pass as making sense, but doesn't. And, like, the example sentence he gave when he was talking about it was something along the lines of, more people have been overseas than I have. Mm. Where you're like, you think about that for a second, then you're like, wait, what? No, that doesn't mean anything. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, it's one of those. 
Nothing, nothing travels faster than the speed of light <laughs> than gossip in a small town. So is, I guess it's... I feel it, like so you're finally almost, getting it. That's almost the opposite, where it is, it actually is meaningful. It's just written so badly that it seems like an error. Like, it seems like the writers of Bones, like typed half a sentence then forgot to type the rest of the sentence before finishing a different sentence left it in the script and then it just stayed and no one edited it out but actually it is meaningful just written so perfectly awfully as to suggest that it is nonsense oh sorry i found the thing it's a a comparative illusion it's what they call it and the uh the sentence the example sentence uses is more people have been to russia than i have which obviously makes no sense. Hmm. Language. Language. So uh, the owner then does us some very helpful SVU style recognizing of the dead person based off Angela's facial reconstruction. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also remembering a notable occurrence. He says that is Ursula Lupine. She's a regular. Is she the yeah. one who's dead? Last saw her a month ago. She was having an argument with another woman. I had to tell them to keep it down. So that's uh, a, an African American, good-looking woman in a suit. So that's a that's a reference to um, Ursula Le Guin, right? That they call Perhaps. her Ursula Le Pen. <laughs> sure, and she's a note-for-note perfect parody of socialist anarchist science fiction author uh, Ursula K. Le Guin. I don't think she's a note for note perfect parody. I just think that they were like, okay, what do we name the the murder person in this one? <laughs> oh, I like Ursula Le Guin. Let's call her Ursula Le Pen. <laughs> Is it worth noting uh, who the guy is that plays the diner owner? No, uh, I'm sure. If it's someone of note, he's the he's one of the three lone gunmen from the X Files, the hot one. That's it. That's right. So they managed to rope in days. one person from the X Files. Well done. God, that's, isn't that such like a discounts like like third string Comic Con sideshow as well? Like, can you get Mulder or Scully? No, 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 no. We got one of the three lone gunmen from the X Files who'll be answering questions behind the the Tim Hortons. The second most notable of them. Awesome. <laughs> like, I bet you, I bet you so much that they tried to get. Uh, a cameo from uh, fucking Duchovny and goddamn, what's it? At this point, oh jeez, yeah, oh, this is going to drive me insane. But her, that lady, Gillian <laughs> Anderson, Gillian Anderson, that's the one. Yeah. No, Duchovny uh, was entirely too busy getting his shit sucked and being sad during Californication. Oh, that's true. Mm. Yeah. My Californication period came actually between um, my. Uh, Chuck Palahniuk period and my monocle period. <laughs> watching Californication and being like, awesome. He's so cool. This guy has depression Ryder and he fucks. fucks. And this rules. Yeah. <laughs> I thought the coolest thing was to like be sad, get drunk and, and fuck. And I was like, yeah, sweet. <laughs> this is I great. was definitely I'm like so sad. Guy who names his books after Slayer albums, I was like, "This is the coolest thing I can possibly imagine." Oh, I can imagine man. cooler things now. Now that I'm a grown man, <laughs> man, the the so early 2010s do... was just a cultural wasteland. Truly. Continuing in this cultural wasteland, uh, Bones then acts like a huge fucking asshole uh, when. There's like no. a radio there and the diner owner says, oh, that's the radio that they first heard like the 
the spaceship that landed here in Roswell. And some static comes over the radio and this lady says, I think I hear an, a UFO. And Bones goes, ha, 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 you fucking idiot. <laughs> and everybody looks at her and she's like, oh, no. I have also forgotten all of my social cues again. Uh, we then travel off to the dead girl's trailer. There's a window broken. Some stuff is missing. Uh, there is a cinder block that has been used to break the window. Um, Booth gets a print from it by putting some charcoal on it yeah. and some sticky tape. Um, that that classic warrant. thing you can get fingerprints off, a cinder yeah. block. And not a warrant in sight. Just no one. Now, no one has go ever gotten a warrant in Bones. No, that's true. You don't really mm-hmm. need it. I really need a warrant, you know? So, back to the lab, they've got some footage from the USB, and as you alluded to earlier, Ben, extremely (gasps) E.T.-looking. Maybe it is an alien. Play the crystal method again. (laughs) No, it's not. Um, So, of course, Cam says, no, 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 this is impossible, to which Angela says, no, it isn't. This was verified by the scanning software at a pixel level. Yep. Don't know what that means. Because I don't think it means anything. And I can tell from having seen a good deal of shops in my time. Um, So Cam is like, are you saying our victim might have stumbled onto a real UFO? And of course, that's not what they're saying. And they're very excited to immediately dismiss it. (laughs) um, No, no, no. It was something else. We're then treated to a rare double bonesism. Uh, Angela says, I'll keep working on this footage, but you have to admit that this makes the hairs on your arm stand on end, right? And Bones says, the hairs on my arm are not reacting in any way. It is not a spaceship. To which Booth replies, if it smells like a duck, walks like a duck, quacks like a duck. And Bones says, then it would be a duck, not a spaceship. So your point escapes me. I mean, That's she's right. She, she is correct. Just also, um, I'm sorry, <laughs> Mr. Law. I'm afraid it's double bonesism. You, you, ha- you have eight months. <laughs> Bad case of double bonitis. <laughs> yeah. Also, it's, it's amazing. Again, someone who can very freely converse in metaphor when it's time for the plot to move along but who forgets mm-hmm. every simile uh, as soon as we realize we have a few a few minutes to fill. Just fantastic. That's what's up. That's what we love. Benny, you enjoying the writing on this show so far? It is genuinely insulting to like both the character of Bones and also whatever archetype of person she's meant to represent. She's just like, oh, what's a simile? Me don't understand. Is it duck? <laughs> Weirdly, here's the thing, Ben. Here's what's weird. The the person Bones is meant to represent is a forensic anthropologist called Kathy Reichs, who frequently consulted with the FBI, who is the producer of Bones. God damn. <laughs> so it was like so it was bad. Hart Hansen, Kathy Reichs, David Boreanaz, and Emily Deschanel met up once, and Kathy Reichs was like, I'm really weird. What if you turned it into a show? <laughs> I fucking suck. Is that entertaining? <laughs> Could be. So, um, Delmi is back and the cops immediately threaten her with jail time in order to coerce her to cooperate with them. Mm. Cute. You can tell it's cute because there's pizzicato music on the back of it. Yeah, that's right. It's funny. 
you know? It was funny. We love funny stuff around here, around here at Bones. Uh, it turns out the thing that she is giving back to them is photos of Ursula, dead alien lady, with the guy that found her body, Marvin. Perhaps and perhaps an allusion is, to Marvin the Martian. No, this is genuinely more more connection between the fir- that first part of an episode and the last part of an episode than has ever been in the show Bones. And it's the character who found the dead body kissing the dead body while it was alive in a person uh, wearing sombreros, as like people do for um, cameras when you're having an affair on your wife uh, with an alien lady. I wonder why they're both wearing sombreros no one. Who can say? I mean, this, anyway, I mean, it's it's because it's to show that they're fun. I mean, the the people who write the show Bones are definitely the people who at the office Christmas party will like wear a tie or a lampshade on their head. That's how you let people know you're drunk and you're having a great time. Exactly. You have to That's wear true. a That's funny true. hat, exactly. otherwise, no one's going to pull you over. So, uh, back at the lab, they have decided that the ball bearings and stuff entered the skull from beneath and rattled around. But it needed to be something from something less powerful than a gun. Um, mm. But hey, it's time for lunch with Hodgins. Someone in the writers' room just remembered this B plot. Uh, so now we're over at the diner. <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot. The three of them are having lunch together, and they're all being weird about it. And it's still boring. Uh, <laughs> Sweet shows up and starts to immediately psychoanalyze everybody altogether. Um, we're back in the desert. We're showing Marvin the photos. He's all aghast. Um, for some reason, he didn't immediately tell them, oh, yeah, that dead lady that you found is, is a person that I was having an affair with. I feel like I would tell the police immediately, to be honest. Yeah. I feel like it's much worse. Um, so, you know, he says, hey, she was a believer like me. We were together when we first saw the lights. Yeah. Where were these lights? Just over that hill. About two kilometers away, mm. causing Bones to declare that would be in Mexico. Uh, Roswell is 330 kilometers away from the border. She was right about the aliens. The mystery has been solved. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Huh. I didn't even think about it at all. That's fucked up. <laughs> it turns out there were aliens in Mexico. Now, Booth asks Marvin what he thinks really happened. Uh, and he says, quote, I think she came out here without me. Maybe she thought. I wanted half of her money. She maybe saw the lights and crossed over and they took her, experimented on her, and then dumped Ursula in the desert like the cold, heartless scientists that they are, Ben. Like Bones is. Bones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> do you uh, Do you feel like that's an accurate depiction of our alien friends, Ben? I mean, aliens take all forms, as we stated earlier, so, you know, hard to say. There you go. So, back in the lab, Angela has done a bunch of computer bullshit on the footage. Uh, For example, I ran an application to counteract the motion of the camera with opposite movement. Then I translated each pixel of the infrared spectrum into a pixel of the visible color spectrum. Yeah. I And then then I used this free app on the App Store to give everyone bunny... You can do this thing and it gives everyone a smile. Does that sound like a real thing to you, Ben? Well, okay. So image stabilization, sure. You can do that automatically on a YouTube video. Uh, 
to fucking... Why would the camera be picking up infrared light in the first place? Infrared light from what? Also, cameras... Like no, a regular-ass camera doesn't do that? Fucking so fucking weird. And then what? what? Which color are you turning your infrared to? You know, it's like when they do those pictures of like... Uh, because of bees eyes they can see infrared and ultraviolet here's what it would look like in a picture and you're like well you, you can't show us what it looks like in a picture because you're talking about two colors that we can't see you've just shown me a picture of what it would look like if the world was purple awesome <laughs> yeah yeah and that's part of solving the um that's part of solving the uh uh the mystery is you have to turn the whole thing purple and then everything falls together but then they do the same thing with, well, they do the opposite of that with when she talks about cleaning up the audio later, where they try to overcomplicate a very simple process again, where they're making image stabilization sound insane and also noise reduction. That's very strange. Beautiful. Uh, but anyway, it means the footage is fine now. Uh, they watch it and they say, hey, it's not aliens. It's Mexicans illegally dumping chemicals. <laughs> Uh, that's where she fell and fractured her knees, which we did not reference earlier. Um, but she managed to get away. She was looking for UFOs, but found illegal activity instead. These people killed her. Mm. Must be time for a little of what we like to call wild speculation. <laughs> Hodgson says, I was able to clarify the chemiluminescent signature of the materials being dumped in the video. I don't think that's a thing. Nope. Manganese and sodium borohydride used in the manufacture of batteries. Uh, Cam says, can you get a specific manufacturer from that? And he says, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. I can see what the problem is. I mean, th- again, this, is, this seems like, once again, the writers of Bones sort of read about identifying, like, the composition of planets by looking at the light from stars or whatever, which you can do. And we're like, well, I assume that this also applies to um, filming glowing goo. You can tell not only that, you can also tell, like, who bought it, how long it traveled in a car, whatever you might need to know to solve a murder when you have sort of maybe eight minutes left in your murder show of which two probably has to go to the B plot and then the wrap up. So really you have six minutes of murder solving left and you have not, you have once again forgot to solve the murder. So you need to make up some science stuff that will just give you just enough information to basically get it towards solved. It's never good when you accidentally forget all your science information, you know? Yep. Uh, he says, I, I have... I have identified the specific manufacturer Inatron. Mexican flannel bush is on the verge of extinction, right? He says. That thing that we all know. Mm-hmm. Inatron has a plant located smack dab in the middle of the last remaining flannel bush population oh, in that's Juarez. Lucky. That's so lucky. And, and they use manganese and sodium borohydride, which, as established, we can tell by looking at a green glow on a severely damaged USB stick that we pulled out of somebody's guts that this lady has also run many, many layers of software over. Man, imagine if that plant wasn't in the middle of, the, of those endangered, um, endangered bushes. You never would have found who this was. 
And that'd be, as we... That would be, be, if you want to prevent crime, that'd be really good. Just make every chemical manufacturer locate all of their production facilities in the middle of um, bushes that are so endangered that they occur nowhere else. As we like to say when we watch this show, Ben, imagine attempting to take this to a court. <laughs> Imagine trying to tell a court, well, we watched a video and it had some green stuff in it and we were able to tell from the shade of the green stuff that this one specific company in in Mexico manufactured it. Well, I mean, there was like a really large period there where courts were accepting extremely debunked shit like lie detector tests and... uh, uh, bullet ballistics and stuff. I'm sure that, like, if the FBI rolled in, it was like, well, we ran some proprietary software over it, and it's clearly that guy. They'd be like, oh, the FBI said it. It must be true. We ran the guiltometer. <laughs> it bleeped a lot, so uh, obviously, uh, get his ass. charts on the guiltometer. <laughs> so, you know, now we've got evidence, everybody. Uh, we got to wrap up this bullshit. B plot, so Hodgins goes to see Sweets and says, oh, I'm sad. I'm sad that uh, my ex is getting bald by somebody. Leading to some beautiful writing. Okay. Hodgins says, when she finds happiness with someone else, it's like being stabbed in the heart. And Sweets says, that's the human condition. You know, that's right. it's why there are so many movies and plays and songs and poems. That's why all the poems. <laughs> I love the next line of dialogue uh, where, and this is, you know, paraphrasing. He just says, yeah, I get it. Art. Yeah. He says, yeah, yeah, art. Art. Yeah. I understand that the things that you've just listed are all the kinds of art that there are. You know, like, that's why there are so many police procedurals as people get heartbreak. <laughs> I have heard of human expression before. Just wonderful. What is a police... I mean, I think realistically, like, you have to actually understand police procedurals as being structured, especially this one, as being structured more like a poem with stanzas uh, than, like, a a piece of prose with sort of themes and running dialogue and so on. Like, no, this is... To understand each of these is little presented rhyming couplets that go in sequence and then um, ends on, uh, you know... On a little two two line thing, you know, it's uh, it's it's it has to be understood as 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 a poem. I think Bones does. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Back <laughs> to the lab. There is it. Uh, they have pulled uh, magically pulled some audio off this uh, destroyed footage, and um, and Cam says, "Oh, that's Spanish." And Angela goes, "We're gonna have to get a translator." And she goes, "No, no, I was a cop and a coroner in New York City. Therefore, what?" Was this a spin-off? I, I guess it's a, it's an origin story or whatever, you know? My origin story was convenient for the solution of this episode. That's right. That's all you ever really need. Um, and she says, hey, I can hear one person's voice and they're, um, they're saying their R's and, and P's and stuff in a way that used to get me made fun of. So I know she's American. Back in the car with Booth and Bones, um, they say, ah, she thought she was filming a UFO crash site, but she wound up with footage of Americans dumping toxic waste in the Mexican desert. And Mm. at this point, Bones opens a folder and says, Rachel Adams. (laughs) 
And Booth says, American? And Bone says, yes, she is an Inatron executive in charge of waste management. She is based in Juarez, Mexico. Where the fuck did they get this information from? The, that's, the, that's what the census is for. <laughs> the, census, the census is to get this information in an easily searchable database by um, picture, vibe, general description, or just, you know, random. And uh, then it's, it, you're able to get like very advanced, specialized units of the murder FBI um, who are able to devote presumably millions and millions and millions of dollars uh, to solving strange murders that don't really sort of have any larger political significance. Why do you think the census is carried out? Um, back at the lab, they're trying to figure out what was used to kill this person by putting a bunch of faces on melons of people who work at the, at the lab mm-hmm. and then shooting different kinds of things into them. And then they say, hey, it's a zip gun. Yeah. That's so, what we've decided. Yep. By firing some ball this. bearings into melons. Based on some melons. And this is the resolution of the B plot. This is how Hodgins gets over his uh, desire to, uh, uh, his weird feelings about Angela and Wendell is that he puts Angela and Wendell's faces on the melons that he shoots. Then he's like, ah, back to normal. <laughs> 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 ah, now that's that story wrapped right up. Mm-hmm. That's this is the way that most men should deal with things like this is simply through murderous rage. Uh, now back to Inatron HQ in Juarez, Mexico. I love Why this. are they I there? Love this part. They do not have any form of jurisdiction. Nope. Nope. They're just they're just there in Mexico. You know. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Um, however. So, we do yep. get one of my favorite bonesisms, which is as soon as they confront someone with any evidence that they have committed any kind of crime at all, they immediately admit it. Oh, yeah, I guess I guess you're right, because mm-hmm. I had written down here that she had broken the rule. Um, but I think you're you're actually correct, because normally, Ben, what happens is they say to somebody, we think you did this murder and they go, oh, I've been waiting ages for you to ask take me to prison now <laughs> nobody ever says um you seem to have concocted a case built on like uh, masking tape and spiders webs take me to court and you will lose everybody always just says oh i've been dying to sign a confession thank you <laughs> you solved my murder puzzle so they oh, they sorry. show this, this is, executive sorry this is except for the case where um it w- the murder was just some random guy and it turns out that the investigation was for nothing that's the only time where this hasn't happened god that was good <laughs> so they show this executive the footage and they say here we have footage of you um telling them to dump toxic waste and get rid of this person's body and she says I work for a major corporation that's just signed a billion dollar deal with the Mexicans. <laughs> with every Mexican. <laughs> oh, no. You think you can extradite me? Take your best shot, which on reflection, Riley, yeah. is absolutely her just admitting to the crime. Yeah. Also, I like that the, fil- the film is basically of her, no, no, commit more crimes over there. So... Uh, Booth and, and Bones tell Hodgins instead to focus on the ball bearings. Mm. They say, could you trace them to Inatron? And he says, no, I can't because they're obsolete. They were manufactured in the 40s and 50s for roller skates, fishing reels, yo-yos, 50s style toys. 
<gasps> dun, 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 dun. Wow. So it looks like the real crime wasn't that other crime that just got admitted to uh, or any of that giant scale corporate malfeasance. We have a single murder to solve. That's right. Yep. So it's straight back to the space cafe uh, where they immediately accuse the cafe owner of um, overhearing these people talking about hush money. Uh, he has foolishly left the murder weapon on the counter. Mm-hmm. Not yeah. smart, honestly. Where they would least expect to find it. It's, it's and, a and bad move all around. So they load some ball bearings into it, uh, start just firing it off in the cafe, immediately yeah. proving that it can be used as a murder weapon. Um, also, by the way, just, just FYI, uh, no warrant. And the guy says, hey, you need a warrant. And they're like, ah, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> hey, shut up, you fucking civilian. We need no warrant. Which in a way. Shut up in bo- your face. Which, they yeah, they were the, the Italian-American police. But in a way, um, yeah, Bones is actually weirdly prescient about just exactly how cavalier and, um, uh, and, and, and rogue law enforcement would become. Right. So, um, so Bone says as they're dragging him away, yes, you are a moron. You are definitely a moron. Not literally, figuratively. It is very satisfying to use an insulting colloquialism even when it isn't accurate, she says very smugly. To which Booth replies, yes, it's even better when they resist arrest and you get to hit them. Hey, a very cool things to come. Very cool. Yeah. Awesome. Cops rule. I love when shows are about fun, relatable cops who routinely abuse the power that they have and think it's great and love admitting it. It's just funny stuff. And then after after Booth is like, "Ah, I love doing I love doing FBI brutality. Then they get like a tender scene lying on looking up at the the stars together as though like the, the last two things in this show are. A, like a major sort of corrupt political corruption scandal about like illegal toxic waste dumping and an admission to into basically fucking Booth being Mark Furman. Um, <laughs> like these are just like just nothing. They they are they slide off of the of the writers of the show as insignificant. And this I think goes back to once again this idea that. Bones was happening in this time. To- Bones was season five was occurring in this time of a transformation in history, where again, as we talked about, there's this return of the political. There's this return of things being contested. There's this de- de- there's this vanishing of of safety and certainty, and no one has a name for it yet, but they know it's happening. And even the writers of Bones can sense it when they talk about the economic mess or um, this this sort of insane corporate malfeasance or police brutality, but they can't they can't talk about it. They don't have the language to do it. So it just sort of happens in the background and no one really ever engages with it. It just slides off the surface of the show like some kind of like like water beating on glass. <laughs> it's beautiful. That's why we love it. That's great. Uh, across to the Founding Fathers where Wendell and Angela wrap up their boring bullshit that nobody cares about. There's still mm-hmm. a couple, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Wow, and I was then... worried they wouldn't still be a couple or that their friendship with Hodgins might be damaged. Oh no! All of these very real and lasting friendships ah, with the Jeffersonian. The stakes. <laughs> All my very real stakes. And we cross back to the nighttime desert, where Booth and Bones are stargazing. 
And we, we cap it off here with some more insightful writing. As Bone says, it's ridiculous to think that there is anything on this planet worth seeing which merits crossing what are literally astronomical distances. Cool. Very depressing thought. And uh, Booth says, maybe aliens are anthropologists. Maybe they just want to study our religion and sex and love and our funny languages and line dancing. To which Bones replies, that is an interesting possibility that I hadn't considered. Okay. Cool. Well, thank you, Bones. <laughs> Again, just you could, the writers were like, we're so close to 43 minutes. We are so close to 43 minutes. Just, so just a couple close. more lines. Just stretch it. More things in the list. Add line dancing. Fuck it. We just got to wrap this up and get out of here, you know? And that's it. That is an episode of Bones. Oh, but uh, what about the crucial last five seconds of that episode? Oh, yeah. Hit me with it. Uh, there's a noise, and he goes, wait, what was that? And then they both make spooky faces, and then it cuts to credits. Yeah. Yes. And in the so, Bones universe, they would that, that if it lasted five more seconds, it would just be revealed to be like some kind of desert wildlife, and they'd be like, ah, it's desert wildlife. Anyway, <laughs> There's back no to magic or mystery to the universe whatsoever, <laughs> and that's how I want it to be. <laughs> it is quite simply a coyote. The oh, end. Good thing that wasn't an alien. Anyway, goodbye, audience. <laughs> oh man. See you next week. How'd you feel about your one episode of Bones, man? Uh, it was shit. <laughs> uh, <laughs> lovely to be here though, but it's not a good show. Yeah. It's not, is it? No. Oh, it's bad. I mean, I, I think it's it's unfair to judge a long-running TV show by sweeping in and watching one episode because I think even like no, good... no, it's fine. No, it's no, fine. no, you're right. You're right. Really? I think sorry, it, like, sorry, one season of one long-running TV show. We don't know oh, about the course. others. They might be good. I think basically all TV shows, like long-running TV shows, kind of require you to have like it. You build up a kind of investment in them and an affection for them, where you will willingly overlook the parts that suck. Like, if you introduced someone that you really, really loved to your, like, favorite Star Trek or Stargate episodes or whatever, you would be humiliated. You would be, like, so fucking crushed by being, like, the realization that that thing that you really love is fucking stupid uh, when viewed with fresh eyes. Whereas you're like, no, 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 no. You, you, if you've watched 20 seasons of this, you'll love all these crazy little quirks the character has. You'll think it's hilarious when Data doesn't get a joke or when Teal'c doesn't get a joke, or where the equivalent guy in Farscape doesn't get a joke. Or the equivalent guy in Stargate comedy, Atlantis. Isn't it? Yeah, that's literally the one joke that they have, to the extent that uh, Star Trek TNG has two of those characters. <laughs> well, I'd love to see those guys have a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe about Bones. It's called Literal Language, the podcast. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. Like, yeah, we've we've certainly had people uh, contact us and say, I watched this show a lot when I was younger and I'm having some feelings about it now. <laughs> I, I, I think one of the, if you want to talk about like, a couple of the key differences there, right? I think the, um, and something like, like Star Trek, they, they bother to create a, to create a larger universe that sort of has an internal logic, weird as though it may be, that sort of, out there to explore and is a compelling storyline like i don't i don't think that star trek fully had contempt for its it might have been a bit silly i don't think it had cont as much contempt for its no, audience as definitely bones not. does i mean subjectively a better show but like there's still a little bit of like 
joke writing that requires a like deep, deep, deep familiarity with the characters for you to find it even remotely funny. Otherwise, you're just like, this sucks, man. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I'm just I'm just constantly struck by how lazy this show is. It is truly remarkable that not only did somebody get paid for writing episodes of this show, but they got paid a wild amount of money. I can only assume because this show itself made a wild amount of money. Oh, yeah. As I found out when researching, the lawsuit between um, Emily Deschanel and David Boreanaz uh, against the like um, distributors of this show, claiming that they had been like uh, bilked out of you know tens of millions of dollars, they sued the distributors of the show for a $100 million and they won. I, I bet Emily Deschanel is probably richer than Zoe Deschanel. Yeah, I think that's, that's probably reasonable. And it's probably just exclusively because of Bones. Yeah, just a yeah. Just terrifying thought. Yeah, well, you know how much, you, I mean, the, the Hollywood Writers Guild minimums, it, well, the, the 2020, set, 2020 numbers, so probably be, have been lower when this was happening, but the Writers Guild of America minimums for a 43-minute episode of network television that's on a large network, it's on like a primary, prime network, um, it's $45,000 an episode. Huh. So you're writing one episode of Bones um, with dialogue like, Nothing travels faster than the speed of light than gossip in a small town. And they're like, here's oh. a year's salary for someone earning a you know, relatively comfortable living outside of a major city. Imagine you've written all of season five, you know? Mm. That's the dream. Yeah, that's, you could, that's a ton of money to have written the entirety of all of season five of Bones. And if you stack it up, there will be more hours of Boney Island Whitefish than the show Bones itself, and yet we aren't making nearly that much. <laughs> because it every hardly episode seems of fair. the Boney Island Whitefish is as long as two episodes of Bones. That's true, and we can't explain why. Terrible. Well, I think that's it. Yeah. Thank you for joining us, Ben. Yeah. Uh, hey, thanks for I'll having see me. you on the other podcast. Yeah. Yes, you will. Say, ben, do you do you have any podcasts to plug? How about what's oh, this Bunta Vista? Never heard of it. Not interested. Listen to Ah oh, Yeah Dude, greatest podcast in the world. <laughs> God damn. Eight 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 four two two three five seven. Call up their hotline. <laughs> Beautiful. All right, everybody. See you next time. Bye. 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 Bye.